Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. Great. I'm excited today because on this episode of MBA Insider, I have Ben Liner with me. Uh, ben is a MBA graduate of the University of Virginia Darden School of Business. And Ben has a fantastic story about finding a great career opportunity um, after he graduated from his MBA from Darden uh, last June. And I'm really glad to have Ben here because I know many MBA students are going through the job search process or perhaps even the internship process right now. And I think Ben did a lot of really good things as he navigated through this process that helped him land on his role. So there's a lot to learn from that uh, job searcher process that I think Ben will be able to unpack. And so Ben, thank you so much uh, for joining. I guess maybe just to start, uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are and, 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 um, and yeah, just give us, give us your, give us your backstory. Sure, sure. Well, uh, before I do, thank you for having me, Al. Uh, this is a great service that you're providing for MBA students. Uh, I would have really liked this podcast a year ago. Uh, let me let me tell you that. Um, so a little bit about me. So I went to Darden, as you mentioned, before business school. Um, I got a degree in history and economics from Emory University in Atlanta, um, after which, uh, like many idealistic young people, I went into politics. So um, I worked on the Hill for a little bit. I worked as a political pollster. I worked as a researcher in Washington. And then ultimately, I was the executive director of a group called My Ride to Vote. Uh, it's an advocacy group that worked with Uber and Lyft to provide rides to the polls for low-income voters on election day. And that's still, to this day, been the most meaningful work I've ever done. And it was my first exposure to tech. And so... Uh, I came to business school to think about how I could position myself to enter tech, um, entering tech to answer um, sort of two questions, which is what is the role of a tech company in sort of in, in society? How much of a role can do companies like Amazon, Google, in my case, LinkedIn, how do they affect societal outcomes? Um, and then the second question I wanted to answer is, you know, perhaps even as a founder later in life, is what, what is the role of technology in actually addressing societal problems? Because I think in terms of both questions, um, tech has this aura around it that tech is the answer to all of our problems. And I really wanted to peel that back and understand it in context so that I could think about whether it be through the private sector or the social sector or with or without technology, what my best sort of uh, place would be to solve uh, the problems I care about. So um, after business school, I en ended up at LinkedIn. That was a bit of a ride, uh, as I'm sure we'll, we'll discuss. But uh, yeah, happy to be here. Great. <clears throat> and um, so when you were at Darden, um, can you talk through a little bit and maybe share a little bit about what you chose to recruit for and kind of um, your experience, I guess, not to lead too much with a witness, but you know your experience with tech um, and, and whether it was your internship, uh, as well as just in general and with recruiting in business school. Sure. Um, so business school in general 
is really good at taking people from programs everyone understands, educating them, and then putting them back into programs that everyone understands. So from the perspective of technology, for example, many of my colleagues were coming from consulting firms and they wanted to go to tech companies. And so the options were Walmart e-commerce, Amazon, Microsoft, Google. Uh, that wasn't me necessarily. I was coming from a non-traditional background and I really didn't know anything. Of, I, I, I didn't know what a product manager was until I even got to Darden. So a lot of the recruiting I did in business school involved figuring out what the heck is in, the, what are the roles and functions in a tech company and which ones do I think I wanted to learn more about, which ones did I think I would be good at. I settled on product marketing uh, because of my research background. Um, and I, I got a job basically by telling people that politicians are just bad products and I'd been doing product marketing the whole time. Uh, but uh, I made no bones about the fact that like if a company came to, to grounds, which is what we call campus at Darden, um, and it wasn't interesting to me, I wouldn't apply. And so actually over the course of my two years at Darden, uh, I only did two on-campus interviews, one my first year, one my second year. The rest was through networking on LinkedIn and, and sort of asking questions of my network. And ultimately, that's how I got where I, where I ended up. Uh, I love what you said about how you believe that politicians are just bad products because uh, two reasons why. Number one, I believe that to be true um, in some cases. Uh, but number two, as a fellow product marketer, I always tell people that the ironic thing about going through the interview process of, for product marketing roles is that it is the ultimate test in product marketing in terms of you being the product, trying to convince a buyer to buy you and the buyer being the employer. And so um, I, love, I, love that I love the analogy that you, uh, that you gave with that. And I also think the, to your point that if you know, on campus can be really great and for a lot of reasons. And certainly for some industries, it, it makes a ton of sense. You know, for example, management consulting being one of them, right? It's pretty much uh, a good chunk of the employers who come to campus. That's where they're going to recruit. Um, but by and large, um, there are a lot of opportunities that are out there for off grounds in your case or off campus or so a self-directed search um, because the opportunities are endless if you're willing to put, um, you know, really identify what you're looking for and, and, and do the research and, and the networking to go out and uh, to go out and get it. And so, okay, so you've chosen product marketing. Um, could you maybe just dig in a little bit deeper? So I, I personally get the, I, I can clearly see how your background and maybe what you did in your past life based off of those skills and experiences translates into product marketing. But um, as you were kind of going through that research process of understanding within tech, you know, what are the, you know, the functions or roles um, you know, how did, you know, what are the other things that really attracted you to product marketing? Um, either because it was a transferable skill from what you did before, or just because you were like, you know what, like, I, I realized that that sounds really interesting. That's something that I want to do. Uh, that's a great question. Um, before I directly answer it, let me point, uh, your audience to a book that I think was really helpful for me in answering this question. The book is called entering startup land. Startup land is all one word. Uh, it's by a guy who, uh, whose name I forget. He teaches venture capital at, at Harvard. Um, and the book, each chapter is based on, uh, is, is about a function at a tech company. And each subsection of each chapter is about the specific types of that function. So everything from customer marketing to um, content marketing to product marketing. And so if you match your 
your skills from your prior life to functions uh, in that book, you'll have some hypotheses as to where to dig. And so for me, product marketing seemed like the right fit because if you're doing a good job as a political researcher, what you're trying to understand is what makes a voter want to vote for your candidate. And one of the first things you live in politics and one of the first things you understand is that voting is not a, a rational decision, it's an emotional decision. So what is it about a candidate? How does it make someone feel? How does it tap into their visceral emotions to make them make a choice as to whether they want to vote for that candidate or not? And those same things actually ultimately apply to things as seemingly far away from, from a politician as enterprise software. So for example, I, I really learned this when I was an MBA intern. I worked at Atlassian, which is a great company out here in the Bay. And they make a product called Jira, which is very familiar to a lot of product folk. And I, I did a go-to-market strategy for a new feature in Jira that has Gantt charts, calling it roadmaps. And the, the revelation to me and, and what really drove home the similarities between political research and product marketing and product research is that we weren't selling the Gantt charts as their own function on their own, sort of saying you should use Gantt charts in your work. That's not what good marketing was in that situation. Good marketing in that situation was to say to product people that they should use Gantt charts and roadmaps because it'll get the business off their back because they can understand it. And being able to understand the visceral motivations that would make someone purchase a software product is really what gets me, what gets me jazzed about coming to work every day. Um, and why I think sort of the product marketing, uh, the product market fit with product marketing uh, was was strong. I see what you did there. Well done. Uh, no, I think that's. I, I think I, that's, speak, I speak tech now. I yeah. No, uh, how how quickly the tie, the tables have turned. Um, right. No, I think I think that's great. And and again, like part of it's because I am a product marketer, but also part of it is just listening to you tell your story can clearly see the connection between what you talked about in terms of good political researchers and understanding emotions, just like a, any marketer or particular product marketer um, would want to think about the same exact thing in terms of their buyer, right. And, and trying to elicit that in a way that would want, make them want to fork over some cash for something that they're selling. So talk to me a little bit. You had this great internship at Atlassian, uh, which is a, a great company. And then, um, during your second year, as you went back to Darden, as you navigated through that, you, I assume you kind of did some more research, you looked for opportunities, you did your networking and the like, but walk me through that process and, and kind of um, how that ended up playing out. Uh, so the premise of me going to Atlassian was as a political person showing to Silicon Valley that there was a functional relevance to my past work and that I could tech too. And... I worked, I love my summer at Atlassian, but my thinking coming back after that experience was to say that Jira, the, the buyer of Jira was another tech person. And as someone who, um, who's motivated by social impact and my ability to, you know, my, my ultimate aspiration for my career is to lead an organization that is having an impact against a societal challenge. The challenge I care about happens to be American democracy. Seems very far from a lot of tech stuff. And uh, you and I can have a separate podcast about that at some other point if you'd like. Um, but I wanted my first full-time product marketing experience to be with 
a real, my buyer to be someone who was in the real economy, who wasn't just someone in the service industry or someone who had wealth, being able to build products for everyday folk. Uh, and which is why, this is gonna sound like a little bit of a twist to your listeners, uh, in March of 2019, as I was graduating, I accepted a PMM offer uh, with Uber Freight under the premise that it was a company with a reputable brand or a brand at least people had heard of and that my buyer was going to be truckers and people in the shipping industry. So I was really going to answer one of my sort of core hypotheses, which is to say, how does a tech product make life better? or easier for core segments of the American workforce. And I was really excited about that offer. And as I'm sure uh, you will ask me later, that, 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 that job never happened. Uh, but that was sort of my premise. And um, I got that opportunity through an under, a friend from undergrad at Emory who set me up with someone uh, at Uber. Uh, and I was very excited about it. Yeah, no. So there's a lot to unpack there. Number one, I definitely would love to have that further podcast about the role of tech, uh, the role of tech in society. And and so you're spot on there. And number two, the other thing that I do really, I that resonates with me, what I think is really valuable is the the thought that you put in to identifying what a good role would look like for you. And you know, in this case for you, in terms of either the company or the buyer and, and the impact that it would make. Um, but the the lesson there, I for me at least, what I take away from it is that I think that when if you're a job seeker, whether it's for that reason, whether it's the buyer, whether it's the industry, whether it's the problem that you're solving, is just really getting a better, more thoughtful sense of w- what it is you're trying to anchor on and trying to get spe- not too specific, but more specific. I think one of the challenges I often come across when I'm when I talk to folks who are job seekers is, you know, they're, they're trying to balance being open, right. And, you know, particularly in a challenging job market um, uh, and flexible, because I think those are important, but I, I do think that the intentionality you put in behind what you wanted to do, um, what I, th- I, I think it is, and what I'd be curious is that it also helped you really focus your efforts in terms of identifying, well, if this is what I'm trying to optimize for, who are the companies that might fit this or who are the people I can talk to that would be great uh, to get to know and to learn about, or, um, uh, you know, or what are the types of, of, of skills or projects I would work on if I were in this role? And does that excite me? And is that interesting? Oh, what, what kind of skills could I bring to the table to something like this? Um, so um, I, I just was thinking in my head, like that, I think that that level of intentionality behind it um, really, uh, I, hopefully it, it helped in that respect in terms of like, I try and identify those opportunities. Is that, is that fair or? Yeah, I, th- I think you're pulling exactly the right lesson out of it. And I think there are sort of two points I want to hone in on there. One is when you're, when you get into an MBA, you're overwhelmed by all these new people and their jobs and new classes. And for me, like I was a, you know, a, a liberal arts guy. So everything seemed new to me. And so there's sort of two things that you got to keep in mind in that environment. One is there's a reason you get high, you get hired for jobs. That's beyond your school. So one of the best pieces of professional advice that I've ever received is uh, someone asked me if I were to pay you $10,000 to consult on something or to do a thing 
what would that thing be? And if you, for me, it would actually be to interview someone and to pull out the insights from that conversation. Um, but everyone has that thing. And so if you can hone in on that, you can understand what makes you hireable and ultimately what you like to do and what, what sort of the core of your value is, at least at that stage in your career. The other thing is when you're bombarded with so much new information, you're, um, you feel sometimes insecure about what you know about yourself. Mm -hmm. Like you see someone in finance class who just rolls out a great DCF model and you're like, Maybe I could do that too. But the chances are is like the decisions that got you to business school weren't the ones who made you decide, oh, I'm, I'm going to be a finance god. And so like you know what you want to do. So it's the, having the wherewithal and the courage and knowing your own strengths to go and get that thing. I talk to students like, uh, about this all the time. And I, and I sort of ask them, what do you want to do? And they say to me, well, you know, I've got this MBA from some great school and I like, I could do finance, I could do accounting, I could do, you know, ops or even marketing, like whatever you have me. And like, A, that doesn't indicate how I might help you figure out what, like who to connect you with or whatever. But I think the more prescient insight is that you can't be equally good at all those things. Yeah. And you can't want to do all those things equally. And so you have to have a sort of a fundamental hypothesis that you're driving on and driving towards. And maybe you'll do a year of that and find out that you were completely wrong or that there were other things that you wanted to try that are more specific or slightly sort of a standard deviation one direction or another. But you have to start somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and that can be around your skills and what you know to be true about yourself. Yeah, I think the, that question about the $10,000 to consult, I think is a fantastic question. And in some ways, it reminds me of uh, an exercise I know a lot of marketers use, and, and I know I, as a product marketer, I use this a lot, is um, when you're trying to come up with your unique position or competitive advantage or whatever you want to call it, um, first, first, best, or only, right? For you, for you as a, like, what are you first, best, or only in? And, and maybe whether or not you're actually first, best, or own, only, forget it. But the, the whole the notion of it, though, is honing in to your point, like really laser focusing in on what it is that either you're uniquely qualified to do or that you're uniquely excited to really, to really do. Um, and I, and I think it's a good, it's a good exercise to really think about very much along the lines of if I were to give you 10 grand, you know, what, what, what would you go, what, you know, what would you go and give advice on? Or like, what could you like really like truly give like a call, like a very qualified advice on? Um, right. And when you're interviewing and have that in your pocket and someone's having a conversation and there's, there's an agreement around what your skill yeah. is and what their needs are, you, you give off the feeling in an interview that you're the inevitable person for a job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, we're not talking about like behavioral questions where I sort of Q&A like a fax machine or something. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's like we can have a conversation about the business and how I would fit in in this company. And, and I, I, that really bore out for me in, in certain situations. So uh, that's great. And going back to that process of landing the offer at Uber, um, you know, knowing what your value prop was or what you were really like focused on, could you, um, I know you had mentioned that in this specific role at Uber at the time, you got it through, a, I think a few mentioned like a friend through undergrad. I'm just curious as you were, I'm assuming you were interviewing at other companies as well. Could you maybe talk through, um, given what your value prop was, maybe some of the other options you were considering or, and how you went about particularly like, um, 
Was it more of just like a friend of a friend? Like, was it, you know, postings on LinkedIn? Was it because you had like a formal like company list, like, you know, most MBA students do and you were looking there? What are some of those other, um, I'm trying to draw out some inspiration because I know folks are probably curious about, you know, where could I even be looking for these opportunities? Sure. Um, A good company, like the first thing you have to understand for yourself, some people make lists um, is to go back to principles and say, what what are the core sort of fundamental tenants driving my decision. Like for me, like I'm a little bit younger in terms of MBAs, like location wasn't as big of a deal to me. For some people it is. Salary could be company size. So figure out what those, what those criteria are and then build a list. Um, the way I network toward that list is using networks from my undergraduate days and from Darden to try to get as close to the product marketing department at that company as I could. Um, but it's, it's not as, um, you know, it's not as scientific as all that. Like I took a job in, in trucking. I have no background in trucking. Um, and I just was sort of groping in the dark for a light switch. It was kind of like, okay, Uber's on this list. I should talk to them. And I should see like what culture's like and like, oh, that sounds interesting. And it's kind of like water flows to the lowest point. Like if you start exploring these different, these different options, certain things sound interesting to you and you sort of pursue those things and they, they work out for you. So, you know, networking as, as aggressively uh, and, and doing good listening at all of those companies and trying to find out what sounds interesting and just following your interest. I wouldn't say that there was like a cycle for me. I mean, I started really reaching out in earnest in probably like January and even that was a little early. Um, and just sort of finding what sounded interesting and you know, not, not tightening my net too, too closely. Um, not sort of narrowing the criteria too much, but you know, knowing that I would get out to San Francisco, the first job would last however long it lasted and I could pivot whenever I wanted. Um, and sort of getting out here with a good brand uh, that was meeting my criteria. That was sort of the goal. Yep. Yep. Great. So tell me about you got the offer at Uber. Clearly you did not work there. So what happened? Um, uh, I actually went on a podcast uh, and said some incredible inflammatory things about Lyft and the, the brand couldn't take it. Uh, that, <laughs> no, that, that, that's not what happened. Um, I, in June, um, I had just gotten back from a wonderful, um, a wonderful vacation, which I had taken thinking I was going to get a signing bonus. Uh, when I got, um, a call from Uber and you guys may remember this um, from last year, but they reorged their marketing department uh, right after they IPO'd and they rescinded all incoming offers and which was a real bummer. Um, and to this day, I harbor no ill will against Uber. It was a, simply a business decision, uh, but uh, I had to go back to the drawing board and I had a place I was planning on moving in San Francisco, like that was all set. And uh, I was like ready to rock. So obviously very disappointing. So 
four days later, I think it was a Monday, I thought to myself, you know what? Like I'm gonna reopen this list with my target companies and see how it goes. But I wanted to jumpstart that search and maybe get some leads and just sort of kick the tires on my network. So I posted on LinkedIn and the post uh, basically said, hi, LinkedIn network. I had this offer, it got rescinded, which was very disappointing. Um, these are my criteria. I'm looking for product marketing jobs um, in, in San Francisco or anywhere else that meet these criteria. And if you have openings, would love to have a conversation. And I attached a photograph of my resume. Uh, the, the post itself had over 300,000 impressions on LinkedIn. And uh, that's actually how we met, Al, because uh, because uh, you know I, I went on a Bumble date in San Francisco, and someone said, "Oh, I recognize you from the internet." Uh, it was it was quite, you know, it's the closest thing I'll ever get to being a Kardashian. Uh, that's awesome. Sorry, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it, it it was just totally weird. So so anyway, uh, I interview all over the world. Um, you know, uh, stories I interviewed at a great company. Uh, called Toast in Boston. Uh, and I was speaking to someone there and she said her husband had shown her my resume and said, oh, you should talk to this person. And I was like, actually, you know, she, she was like, actually, I'm talking to him, you know, this afternoon. Um, I had someone talk to me about moving to Brazil to do an expansion of a fintech company in Argentina, but I had to speak either Portuguese or Spanish. Uh, unfortunately, I speak neither. Um, you know, it's just like, uh, just all over the map. And so, you know, the great irony is, is that LinkedIn, um, you know, four or five of my colleagues from uh, the PMM in Talent Solutions, which is the, the part of the business I'm in, were tagged in that post. And, you know, six weeks later, I had a job uh, at LinkedIn. Uh, so the lessons from that story uh, are, are too many to, to sort of yeah. count. But I would say one of them is that people want to help. Uh, another is that um, putting yourself out there is scary, but everyone needs to do it at least to a certain level uh, to get by, especially now. Um, third is, you know, just be, you know, your online presence is just a version of yourself. And if you treat people with kindness, um, and, and generosity and mutual respect, like they'll want to, to help you. Um, yeah, but I, I'm just totally, was totally blown away and was incredibly grateful just to the kindness of strangers, um, who gave me their time and their energy. And, and by the way, these are not Darden people. These are just totally random, uh, random folks, um, yeah. from all over the world. And, yeah. um, just an incredible, incredible experience. And I'm lucky that, that it turned out as well as it did. Yeah. No, I, I, I love that story. And uh, I, um, I'm so glad that you were able to share it on this podcast because I think it's great for other people to hear. And I mean, from my perspective, I, I think I saw the post because I'm connected with um, Jeff McNish, who's runs a career uh, center at, at Darden, who I, I worked with Jeff when he was at UNC. Uh, I was actually, I I was on his hiring committee um, and, um, and I saw, I think he liked it. And I mean, two things for me, number one, um, what you had gone through sucks for anyone, but I have had an offer rescinded before, so I could easily empathize like right away, like 
darn, like, damn, like this, this is not like a fun place to be in. Um, but number two, and what stuck out to me was that, and, and why I, I wanted to help outside of just what you had gone through was that the, you made a very specific ask, right. Of not, I'm looking for a job or like, I'm open to anything, but it was product marketing, you know, within tech and that's the world that I live in. And so that's an easy, like, between knowing what you had gone through, product marketing tech, like that's an easy thing for me to be like, yeah, like let me see if I can help. And um, and and it wasn't even uh, it wasn't even a question for me. I was like, look, like I, maybe he needs something, maybe he doesn't, but like let me just send a note and see see if it's of value because um, it's an easy thing to do because of the fact you were specific. Um, fortunately, I have uh, seen a couple of those kind of go out, particularly some, whether it was full-time or um, uh, MBA internship offers rescinded. And I've seen some other kind of success stories, if you will. Um, I saw another woman, um, she got laid off and she was like, uh, she was maybe eight months pregnant or something like that. And I she just a, saw that. That's yeah, crazy. I know there's like one that went out there like that. Um, uh, I've seen a bunch of others and the people are trying to help when they can. And so it's your, yeah, like I think I think there's, there is a lot of goodness that is out there. Um, but it does take yourself to kind of like put yourself, um, to put yourself out there. So, um, but I, I do want to back up a little bit cause I, we glossed over it, but I just would be curious having had an offer rescinded before. Um, I know the, I know the feeling, um, I can't imagine it was positive, but what was that like to have to, you know, get that news and like, you know, were you just like, all right, like off to the races? Were you like, all right, like I need to process this and like let it sit and like feel those feelings, like whatever, like how, how is that whole kind of mindset for you just knowing you got, you know, hit with a little bit of, uh, a little bit of adversity, adversity, or as, you know, Mike Tyson likes to say, um, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, yeah. Uh, that, that is a, that is a bastardization of the general, general Patton's mantra which is no plan survives first contact with the enemy. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and this, uh, this is certainly, uh, Uber is not the enemy, but the circumstance was. Sure, sure. Um, so I think, and this is going to sound like it comes totally out of left field, but when I was forced to move into my house during COVID and shelter in place, the feeling that it felt closest to was the depression of not having of this moment because all my friends were off like traveling and had jobs and had futures and like had something to look forward to. And I felt isolated from them. And like, I felt like all my work was just sort of like sending out emails all alone, sitting at a computer. Um, and that stunk. Um, there were two sort of principles two sort of guideposts that helped me get through this time. One is trying as best as I could to stay focused on the present. Like what can I do today that's going to move this ball forward? And how can I show up in this moment uh, in a positive way? But I think the second one was actually more fundamental even than that, which is that, A lot of people think of business in what I think to be a very antisocial way. And what I mean by that is they think of it as this sort of like 
winner take all solo enterprise sort of competitive free market Milton Freeman like beat everyone over the head kind of a mentality. And again, as, as, as this time has taught us, we are mutually independent. And that's not the view of business that is most socially relevant or helpful when in a job search. The more helpful view is to say, business is just a bunch of people with a bunch of different skills making things and doing things together and cooperating. So if you think of yourself as a, in the business world as someone who is out to cooperate and to work on cool projects with other people, getting a job is simply raising one's own hand to volunteer for a project. And you might feel that that power rests with HR at the companies you're looking at, and to a certain degree it does. But if you fundamentally believe in your own value to be working with those people and accomplishing something together and building a business or building a nonprofit or building an enterprise, then you bring the agency back to yourself and you say, what is my inherent value and how do I share that with such people so that they understand how, much, how, how great it would be if they could hire me? And so clinging on to like staying in the present and realizing my own value to those companies made it a lot easier to get up off the mat. I, the, I think both of those are great, but the one that really stuck out to me is with the first thing that you said. I often, when I ever get in challenging times at work or I always talk with my team about this idea of what's the one thing that I can control that I can do right now that helps me move forward. Doesn't need to be a big step. Like it doesn't need to be a giant leap. It just needs to be the one, the one thing in the moment that uh, I know to be true that will help me progress um, even a little bit. And you know, won't solve everything, but it will, it will get us in the right direction. And I think that really resonated with me. And also just as something I also often quite honestly think about myself every day right now, just within the context of COVID-19 and in and, and, and the world, because um, as someone who is a natural warrior, um, thanks mom. Uh, it's, it's very easy to, for me at least to kind of get wrapped up in, in, in all of the the challenges that exist. And so I often try to, to recenter myself, often think about, you know, what is that one thing? And, and um, you know, particularly in a, in a job search where, as you said, where all of your friends are off doing their own things or starting new things in careers, it, it can easy to be, look at them and be like, oh man, like what, you know, how, why am I here? Why do I have to do this? And versus they're doing that and, and being able to get unstuck through focusing on that one thing, I think is really good. But the second thing you said too, is really, is, is a really, um, insightful way to think about it, like fundamentally, like break down, like what is, you know, what is a job all about? Right. And like, what is it fundamentally? And you're right. People like business is about but until the, until the robots take over, um, business is, is a very people and hum, human based thing. And I always say that, um, whenever you're going through a job search, it, it really does take a village, right? It's like, you know, you may be in that room by yourself, um, sending your resume or filling out the application. But if you think about the whole process, it, it really does, it really does take a village. And, and any time I've ever been hired somewhere, I mean, yes, I had to put in the work and the effort, but it was also because there were other people involved through my own good luck or goodwill or through their own kindness or whatever that played a role in, in helping me get there too. 
Right. Um, I feel like this episode should be called like a nervous Asian and a nervous Jewish guy do a podcast. (laughs) Comma. Thanks mom. Yes, exactly. Um, (laughs) uh, But um, uh, joking aside, um, you know, I think there is this, and one of the, one of the, the, the worst things about business school and anyone who's gone can probably tell you this is that, you know, there's a, there's an intense conformist pressure. Um, you know, it's like, it, it, sometimes it feels like a company picnic that you can't leave. And, you know, when I was in business school, it, it only served white claw. So it, it's this, it's this idea <laughs> that, um, that when something like this happens to you, and sometimes it's getting laid off as it's going to happen to a lot of us uh, when the economy, when the economy turns, but you know, many of us are going to get fired, you know, and the, it's the, you have to deal with sort of your own expectations for yourself, but it makes it even harder if you think everyone's watching you or that the, the shame that comes with feeling like you're being judged. And when these bumps inevitably come up in your career, you have to do all you can to know that you're not, that no one is judging you in a negative way for just going through the same bumps of life that everyone goes through. And um, I think that's really important. And I think, um, you know, it helps you get through those times to, to really recognize that. Totally. And um, yeah, I think that, that, there's something about what you said there that that um that fear number one that fear or that insecurity I definitely is is true and I think a lot of MBA students can attest to it, but I think the other element of it is just the the humanity that exists in what you just said, just in terms of an individual like you you or me or whomever it is feeling um feeling like they don't measure up or that they're concerned or that they're afraid of what others may think of them in, in a moment of vulnerability. Right. And, um, uh, the thing about it, which I've, it's hard to know it in the moment, but I think you can see it when you move out of it or are on the sideline and you're looking at someone who's going through it is that I think that for the most part, anyone who ever achieved something spectacular, had an equally as spectacular challenge or failure that they had to overcome in some kind of way, shape or form. Right. Like you, you don't, you don't hit grand slams by not striking out, you know, a few times, right. Like you don't. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean like the example that I use, cause uh, this portrays my liberal arts background, but the example I always use is Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. We think of him as one of our greatest presidents. Um, and he was, but um, until the August before his reelection, he thought he was going to lose. Yeah. The war was incredibly unpopular. He had lost a son who had died. He was feeling incredibly depressed and angry and lacking of control. And, you know, he relied on his own resilience to, to, to get through, you know, one of the best stories actually, I think about Lincoln, is that uh, early in the Civil War, um, he knew nothing about war. And he 
could have sort of curled up in a ball and felt imposter syndrome and shied away and given away everything to his generals. But he wanted to have a perspective on how the war ought to be fought. So he actually walked down when this was possible, walked down to the Library of Congress and checked out a book about how to fight war and taught himself war fighting to prepare for the moment. And so why am I bringing up Abraham Lincoln on an MBA podcast, you ask? The answer is because it requires resilience to succeed. Success is not always evident. And third and most important, success in terms of the eyes of history are often on sort of the high points in sort of the sine wave of life. People don't ask each other about their failures. People don't, uh, people don't reveal their own insecurities about themselves or their environment. And what that story can teach us is that we just have to grind through every day and just do our best and hope that we get recognized for it at the end of the day. But at the end of the day, it's just about putting one foot in front of the other and trying to stay in the, stay in the moment and taking a deep breath and just, and just being with it. I'm glad you brought up Abraham Lincoln because I was, I've been trying to break into a new demographic with this podcast and you just gave me the license to go after the history buffs. So uh, I was going to say the gray haired group (laughs) that, that too, that too. But I also, I also love the fact that what Abraham Lincoln did was basically the modern day equivalent of checking out a book online about uh, the, the, uh, the dummies are war for dummies uh, or, or BuzzFeed's 36 tips for f- fighting your first war or wh- whatever it is. Yeah, I, but if you, if you can com- compare Abraham Lincoln checking out a book on war to decode and conquer for PM interviews, <laughs> um, I, think, I think I'm going to have to hang up. Yeah, fair enough. Touche, touche. All right. Yeah. Well, b- but no, I, I think your point is well taken. And um, for the more business or, te- or technology-minded folks, the other analogy I give, even though it gets over glorified, is, is Steve Jobs getting publicly fired from his company, right? And then, you know, getting a chance to come back and then clearly what, look what he did. Uh, look what he did with it after, right? Um, never, never a fun moment to get publicly fired from your company, but, you know, clearly he was able to do okay uh, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Um, so I think one of the, I mean, part of the reason why I wanted to to have you kind of talk about this experience is because I do think that I think any, uh, you know, any job search has a level of challenge or adversity that you have to face just in terms of just what it entails, but also just given um, the market right now. And I think maybe what some MBA students might be feeling, particularly those who are graduating right now and just, you know, either things not working the way they are coming out the way they thought it was going to be, or just feeling like challenged. Um, I'm just curious, as you look back and as you think about that experience, um, you know, is there, is there something that in addition to what you just said about, um, you know, uh, do focusing on, you know, one thing every day, um, that you've kind of taken with you as like a a lesson of either resilience or a lesson of how you can handle those unexpected twists or turns or the things that life throws your way that are just not really planned. Right. So I, uh, had a conversation a few weeks ago with a friend of mine, a Darden alum, thankfully still has a job, uh, but she's at StubHub right now, which is a company that is uh, just got acquired. And then obviously because no one can go to a concert uh, is under intense pressure and she's very worried about it. And what I said to her was no amount of worry or anxiety is going to, can stand up to an era 
right? Like we're entering a new era and our desire for control and agency in that environment it doesn't stand a match. Like this is, this is sort of the systemic change that's coming is, is too much. So you might as well just sit back and not worry tremendously. I mean, there are horrible things will happen, uh, but it's beyond your control. But bringing an ethic to your job search that uh, I put, I did a presentation for Darden about this a few weeks ago. And I, uh, I put Kobe Bryant on a slide because he was successful because he just outworked everyone. And he wanted to be the best and was motivated by being the best. But being the best and reaching the outcome he saw it meant doing the work day in and day out in the moment today. And so if you do everything you can, you will have a better chance of having things work out for you than if you succumb to, to fear and anxiety over things you can't control. And uh, the, I think a lot of people are gonna learn that uh, when the unemployment numbers start going up, uh, when, when we come out of quarantine. And I, I feel for those, those people because I wouldn't, you know, what I went through was in, under a, a boom economy in Silicon Valley and mm -hmm. sort of the equivalent of the, of the roaring 20s of our time. And um, I wouldn't want to do it again. And I think you're going to want to have people in your podcast who get through this gauntlet because it's going to be really challenging. Yeah. But I think the, the stories that are going to be worth hearing are from the people who managed to sort of put one foot in front of the other and realize that they had value to contribute and that someone would see it eventually. Yeah. No, I, I think, I think what you said is right. And, you know, again, as a worrier, I, I have to remind myself of, of, of the fact of like the worries aren't going to change anything. And, um, I think I've been reading a lot lately about this notion of resilience and the importance of it, particularly in these kinds of, of times. And, um, uh, Sheryl Sandberg, you know, uh, CEO of Facebook wrote, um, option B with Adam Grant and which is all about just kind of how she was able to move, um, move forward from just incredibly tragic, um, uh, event of losing her husband. Um, and, um, she kind of basically wrote a whole book about resilience. And one of the concepts that really rings to mind is this, there's three P's of resilience. And one is, um, uh, personalization. So everything, just because something happens to us, isn't because it's the result of us, right? There are things in our lives that are just out of our control and just accept, accepting that. Um, the other one is permanence, right? And this is the whole, like, this too shall pass, right? Like, this is hurting me now, this is hard now, but it will not last forever. Um, and then the last one is um, pervasiveness. And it's this idea that um, even when there are, things, are hard things going on in our lives or challenging things going on in our lives, they do not have to control our entire life. You know, as you were in your case, um, you know, even though you had this challenge you were faced um, you still graduated from Darden, which is a phenomenal experience. You know, you still had your health, you still had your family, you know, you had just moved to an exciting new city, you know, it wasn't all, wasn't all doom and gloom. And so those three kinds of, those three P's, if you will, and just being able to remind yourself of that are, are the things that I've been thinking about lately, just in terms of the idea of, to what you were saying, the, and the, the quote you're saying before, you know, how, how do you put one foot in front of the other, you know, each day, you know, in a particular time of challenge. So, right. I feel like I, you know, you and I both have master's degrees in, in quotes. 
Yeah. Uh, but but another that I would add to that that insightful list from option B is a mantra, and I, I think it might come from Alcoholics Anonymous, although I'm not sure, uh, which is to never judge your insides based on someone mm. else's outsides. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another, another way to describe that is everyone's screwed up in their own way. Yeah. So if you can connect with people's fundamental humanity, mm-hmm. be it through a networking call or just p- tapping them on the shoulder or being a good listener uh, over Zoom in this time, uh, you know, that, that's really connecting with sort of what makes us human and what, you know, yeah. what, may, what, what brings us together and extending that compassion to other people and recognizing our humanity is, is what's going to get us through this. So, uh, so you made it out the other side, you got hired, you, you know, changed the city, changed the, or changed the geography, changed the industry or changed the location, et cetera. Um, you know, how has it been, you know, how, how has it been on, you know, now that you've been in the role now, what, for almost, almost a year, close to a year? Yeah, I've, I've been, I think today is my eight month anniversary at LinkedIn. Um, I work on an exciting product that's growing like crazy. Um, and I'm getting exactly what I wanted out of the experience, which is to not say that I'm suddenly going to turn into wanting to be the next chief marketing officer of some huge tech company, um, but that I'm learning how to manage initiatives. I'm learning how to work cross-functionally with different types of stakeholders. You know, I know what product, uh, product managers do now, uh, which is exciting. Um, and I've gotten a lot of responsibility for someone who's in my shoes. And so whether I stay at LinkedIn for two years, five years, or 50 years, uh, I will have learned something that I can take to my next experience, um, which is really all, all you can ask for. Certainly. Well, um, as a very happy Microsoft shareholder, uh, please keep up the good work and uh, uh, keep, it, keep, uh, keep it chugging along. Um, I'll, do so, what, I'll do what I can. Yeah, it's appreciated. It's appreciated. So I guess maybe just to, to close out here, because we've covered such a a great plethora of topics and plenty of great quotes. And I'm going to have to a whole bunch of things. I'm going to have to list in the show notes for people to go check out because I think, uh, I think we've covered a great, a great, a, a very diverse set of uh, topics, but any, any closing thoughts or advice, particularly for, for job seekers right now, you know, particularly, as you said, um, you know, challenging times indeed, but potentially even some more challenging ones ahead. Um, I would just say, be patient with yourself and it's not about you. Um, people want to hire you, uh, and it's just a matter of, of getting it, getting it right. Um, just sort of the timing and, and the circumstances and the personalities and all the variables that again, you, you can't control. So, um, take a deep breath, read a good book, watch Tiger King, um, and just take it as it comes and just be reassured that if you're doing all you can and are um, trying your best, uh, that something will inevitably work out. Hi everyone. LD here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA insider podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.